So welcome to our fourth session of our retreat. We have meditated on the call and vocation of Jesus Christ. We then contemplated Palm Sunday to Good Friday and the Passion of Jesus Christ. And today for the final meditation, I invite you to be with the risen Lord. The risen Lord with uh, Mary, the mother of God, with Magdalene, with Peter, with Thomas, with the, all the 12, all the 11 apostles. Spend some time with them. Spend some time perhaps with Mary, the mother of God, and her encounter with Jesus. Now, you will never find, you will not find that in any of the Gospels. But St. Ignatius of Loyola tells us that in the fourth week of the spiritual exercises, the very first meditation is the encounter of Jesus with Mary. And you'll find that in Numbers 218 to 223. That is the very first contemplation of the risen Christ. On Holy Saturday, we spent time with Mary, and she told us all about the Annunciation and her trials at that time, speaking about her pregnancy to her parents, to her friends, to Joseph and the difficulties, and then going on to visit uh, Elizabeth way out in Ayn Karin, the birth in Bethlehem. And we were talking and she reminisced about how she had met Simeon and he said, your own soul a sword shall pierce. And she talked about those swords, the flight into Egypt, because somebody wanted to kill her son. The coming back and the not being accepted by his own town folk in Nazareth when they tried to throw him out of the, over a cliff when he said, the Spirit of the Lord has come down upon me to bring the good news to the poor. And they said, who do you think you are? You are the son of a carpenter. And so Mary would tell us about all the pains until we reach with her at the very foot of the cross. And that is where we stop. And then suddenly, the risen Christ is with us, with Mary, with Jesus, and with you. And you back out, because you want to give them the privacy where mother and son, where the mother of God and the son of God can talk together. So spend some time with that. Spend some time with Jesus and his encounter with Mary Magdalene in the garden just outside the Holy Sepulchre. When Mary thinks that Jesus is a gardener, and because she thinks he's a gardener, she says, where have you laid his body so I can take, come and, and bury it? Mary came with a purpose to the garden, to the tomb. Just like you and I came with a purpose to this retreat. Her purpose was to give a proper burial to Jesus. We decided on a proper burial, on a proper purpose, when we started this retreat, have we got that purpose? But then we went on to the next step and said, that is what we want from God. And what did God want from us? And so also Jesus wants something from Mary. And he calls her by name. God also calls us by name. And we can have eyes to hear, ears to hear, eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that is generous enough to say, Speak, Lord, for I am listening, and I want to do your will. I want it to be on earth as it is in heaven. Beautiful thoughts indeed.
And so now we come to the fourth meditation, that of the risen Christ. And so let us begin as we do, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come Holy Ghost, Creator blessed, and in our hearts take up thy rest. Come with thy grace and heavenly aid to fill the hearts which thou hast made. To fill the hearts which thou hast made. So how do we fulfill what God wants us to do? And what does God want us to do? Go out and be witnesses to the risen Christ. To the love of God that so loved the world that he sent his only son. A son who would drink the chalice to the end. And then give us hope because he rose from the dead. In order to be witnesses, we have to know ourselves and we have to know the church of which it's a part and we have to know the world in which the church exists. Let me start with a metaphor, a metaphor given by the late Pauline Weber. Pauline Webb died at the age of 94 years ago. She was a Methodist. A Methodist who had great ideas, great talents, and great vision. She wanted to see a unity between the Anglican Church and the Methodist Church. But she also wanted to see ordination of women. And she realized one would have to be sacrificed for the other. At that time, the Anglicans did not want to ordain priests, but the Methodists did. And so, although... She was a Methodist and they got ordination for women. She herself preferred to be a layperson. And she spoke on various occasions to the World Council of Churches as early as 1968 in Sweden. And she gives this beautiful metaphor of the church in its relationship to God. The church, she says, is the bride of God. But the church, as a bride of God, secretly wants to reform God, to domesticate God, to put God, to tie down God to a certain place. The, to tie God down to a certain place. To tie God down to a certain place seems to be the very essence of religion. And religion is a corruption of this marriage between God and the church. Because you see, God cannot be tied down. God is free. God is a missionary. God is a pioneer. God is an explorer. God creates something that hasn't been created before. God tears off the old pages from the world calendar and creates a new age and a new adventure for you and for me. God goes where God wills and calls the church, come for goodness sake, gather your skirts together and follow me. The church is not an institution, it's not an edifice, it's you and me. So why do we have a difficulty in going along with God? Because we fear the way God is going and at such a speed that we, the church, have to leave aside our defenses and establishments to follow God. And some of us believe that the only place God should be is in the church. 
Well, God is in the church, but it don't, God only stops to chat with the church and says, come along, I've got places to go. There are the sheep that belong to this church. There are the churches that belong to this flock. I must speak to them also. This terrific breeze causes the church to be gasping for breath. At times it's filled with awe, at times it's surprised, at times it just opens its mouth, gobsmacked and gaping at where God is taking us. The church wants to keep its documents and decrees and papers from flying all over the place. But the breeze is the presence of the Holy Spirit that makes the church go forward. So the choice is yours and choice is mine. We can either be like Lot's wife, afraid of looking into the future, and therefore we are petrified and turned into pillars of salt, salt that has got no use, but can be only thrown down and trampled underfoot. Or we can put our lives totally in Jesus Christ, wherever Christ wants us to be, and we can be a salt that seasons the light of the world. This beautiful metaphor given to us by Pauline Webb. She's really given us a treasure. And this is the church in which we are called to witness. So what really happens today? Let me tell you another story. The story of a congregation that came to the parish and gathered there for the Sunday Mass and no priest turned up. And finally, the housekeeper came and got into the pulpit and says, my dear parishioners, the parish priest has left, has quit, because the church has been going too fast and too far. He does not know what the church is turning out to be. And the assistant parish priest has also quit. He also left because the church is not going far enough, fast enough, and doing what the world really needs to witness to Christ. And you and I have to find a balance between it. What is the church going to be? This is the church that was 2018 BC, before COVID. What will it be when the pandemic ends, the lockdowns are lifted, we don't need to wear masks, how are we going to go forward? What is the church going to be like? When we know when we come out of this pandemic, we are going to be caught up to make not just cosmetic changes, but radical changes. And it will depend upon the reality, the way we look at as Christians at the world today. What have we felt? Have we analyzed our feelings during this COVID? We have found that people have felt the need for God in a greater way than ever before. And even agnostics acknowledge that. Furthermore, they have found that they can get a spirituality and they do not have to be physically present in their parish churches as they did in the past. People have wanted a spirituality that is solid, that it is not giving us just cliché and pious platitudes, not repeating the gospel that we have just heard. We want something deeper. The old stuff will not cut mustard anymore. And the younger generation have a greater stay, say in our church today. They have been gathering together and expressing their views on God, on the church, and the way we pray by Zoom, by Skype, by telemedia of different types. And people have been listening to them. 
and some of us older clerics have to re-educate ourselves to follow that language. This is what the church is getting to morph into in this COVID time. We have found that women have a greater voice within this, by the same digital community, media, and they, I have found, have been the glue that is keeping us believers together. They have been the unifying force in our church today. And we, our church can be healthier and more vibrant if we put all these means, the younger generation, the women, the people who are searching for a deeper spirituality, if we can put them all together as we make a radical and not just cosmetic change within our church. So where do we as believers put our importance our integrity, and all our efforts. It might seem a cliche, but they say we don't want to make a living. We want to have a life, a full and integral life. There is an emphasis on climate change, and it is not just a fad or a passing fancy. It's a reality, and the beauty about it is that the movers and shakers in our world today, those with the dollars and shekels, also realize that this is a vested interest of theirs, even if it is not for the same reason that Pope Francis has given us in that beautiful encyclical, Laudato Si. At that time, the Pope critiques the consumerism and the irresponsible development and laments the environmental degradation and the global warming. And he says, that all people of the world, not just merely the church, but all people of the world have to take swift and global action to halt this global warming. We have a vibrant leader in Pope Francis who keeps on stressing two words in particular. The words are mercy and compassion. Without abandoning the rules and regulations. Pope Francis has constantly been saying these words again and again. So what are the practical logistics with COVID and isolation that comes with us? What is the situation in our world today that we have to continue to witness to Jesus Christ as we continue to live in our world today? First, we find that people have been working from home and now they do not want to return to packed schedules, to long hours at the office where they are producing only half as much because of draining commutes between their house and their work and their work and the house. They don't want any more of that. The lockdown has caused an automatic reset in many of our lives. We work, we talk, we walk, and we live at a slower but healthier pace. We have times for our families, and it has worked out for the majority. Some places, they're broken up. We are no longer anxious to go to all sorts of parties. You know, we drag our children to every birthday party because they have attended other children's birthday parties. We don't have to attend stag and doe parties anymore. <clears throat> they are meaningless for us as adults. 
There were things that everybody put pressure on us to do. We don't have to attend baby showers. Our weddings are going to be simpler and less expensive. And we don't have to make excuses in order to say no to an uncle or an aunt. We don't want to invite in the first place, but we have to because it is the thing to do. And so the lockdown has freed us from a lot of things that have been put on us as pressures from the society in which we live in. The third reality is that we are living with a certain amount of fear. Will there be a next wave? Will there be another lockdown? Will there be a new variant? And will I be able to accept <clears throat> relatives and friends who treat this COVID as if nothing has happened? They don't wear masks, they're not taking their vaccinations, and they still want to come and visit us. How do we say no to them? That is the fear that is there already. And so we return after the lockdown to the church. And there's a certain anxiety of the crowds that we are going to meet with. There is a certain comfort that I have felt with the social distancing. When I go back to church, I will have to give that up. And there is a certain fear of awkward conversations to catch up with people we haven't seen perhaps in 18 months or so. But do I want to catch up with these awkward conversations? What's new? Nothing has been new. It's been masks, lockdown, wash your hands, keep social distancing, take the vaccinations, and more lockdowns. So do I want to carry on talking more about that? <clears throat> and so we return to this church with a little bit of anxiety, with a little bit of comfort that we have to give up from enjoying social distancing. But we know that as a faith community, we have to gather physically together. And the reason is the mystery of the incarnation. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. The word could have been virtually present with us as we have been virtually present to each other with Zoom and with Skype and with other means. <clears throat> but the word saw it was good for man, for woman, not to be alone. And so we have to be together. And it's not just because where two or three are gathered together Christ is there. It's because we are the body of Christ and we have to be together. I'd like to say that all these thoughts that I've been sharing with you have been original thoughts, but they are not. They are thoughts that you have shared with me by email, by phone calls, by Zoom, by Twitter, and all the other means. And I thank you for giving me a view of what the church is and the church that I'm going to enter into once again when the COVID is over. And when we can physically be together without masks and kneeling in the same pews together. And it is within this church that you, God wants us to witness to the risen Christ. So, how are we going to, visit, uh, to witness to the risen Christ? By giving a sense of hope. Now, we get a sense of hope from our younger generations. Every country wants uh, young people to come, skilled people to come, to support an aging population. And so too in our church, we want young blood. They think outside the box, they have a lot of energy. And we look at the younger generation and we see there is no energy and they are frustrated. 
they haven't completed, they haven't graduated, they haven't got jobs, they haven't got job experiences that will help them to get jobs. They can't live together in shared apartments where they thought they had freedom and a new life. And so they have to return to their families, to their parents' homes, because the rents are too high. A second sense of hope that we had, that we can give to others, would come from our doctors and our scientists. They were supposed to give us guidelines. They were to tell us when the lockdowns would be over. They would tell us when we knew, don't need any masks anymore. But what do they tell us? This is a novel virus. We have never had experience before. We are learning as we go on the road. Neither young people nor the doctors or scientists are giving us hope. So we have to get it from within ourselves. And we know two things. That through the millennia, through thousands and thousands of years, through tsunamis and hurricanes and floods and droughts and fire, God has never given us anything that you and I cannot handle. We have groaned, we have moaned. Uh, journalists have told us this has been the worst scenario that has ever been. And yet we have pulled up our socks and managed to work through it. We have cleared the garbage, we have cleared the ruins, we have built up something new. And we have got more confidence in ourselves, more trust in others. We have been united with others. There has been a certain amount of grace and gratitude within this pandemic. The second thing is that Jesus himself has said that if we have faith in him, that we will have springs of living water springing out from right within ourselves. Abide with me as a branch abides in a vine. Abide with me. And that's what Jesus is going to give us. Jesus is going to give us the strength, the knowledge, the wisdom and understanding and we will have springs of living water, not only for ourselves, water that will not drench or dry up, but enough for ourselves and for those around us. And that is the hope that God wants us to give as witnesses to the risen Christ. The second witness that we have to give is the sense of the joy of the gospel. When Jesus was anointed with the Spirit, he brought the good news to the poor, and with that good news, he brought a lot of joy. He brought sight to the blind, um, ability to walk to the lame, the ability to hear to the deaf, and this was great joy indeed. This was the good news. The two words, as I said before, that Pope Francis had repeated earnestly again and again is joy and mercy. And if we repeat those two words again and again and loudly, we will see how they are interrelated. Joy brings us mercy and mercy brings us joy. And Pope Francis has shown us how this great gift of joy is something that you and I can do to witness to the risen Christ among us. And we can do this when we look at people with compassion and with mercy without paying attention to their backgrounds, to their motives, to their religion, to their gender, through their political asso associations. And when we look at them like that, there's only one thing we can do, is to love people because they have been made in the image and likeness of God. And that joy bubbles over, it's filled to the brim and dripping over the sides. 
It is a gift that is ultimately given to us by God. You and I cannot go into the marketplace and barter for it, buy it, or exchange it for anything else. We cannot go to an auction house and bid for it. We cannot order it on Amazon or any other of those um, online big box houses. In our church, the joy overflows when we can leave our church pews and go out and bring this good news to those around us. We will get bruised, we will hurt, we'll get beaten up, but that is our church, and that is the joy that comes with it. Jesus has invited us to be in the church, but God wants us to leave it and go out and spread the good news. Let me end with the last witness that we can give, and that witness is courage. It's a courage that can exist even with fear. We're told in the Gospels over and over again, be not afraid. But there is fear, and we have to be realistic about it. There's a fear of the uncertainties of finances, of health, of relations, of mental health. Um, these things cause us stress and anxiety, but we need to have courage with it. Jesus was afraid when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was so afraid that his fear turned the sweat into drops of blood. But the reality at the end of it all, he was courageous enough to say, not my will, but thine be done. And so as we go forward acknowledging our fear, but we can proceed with courage. This is no pie in the sky cliche. Christ has overcome the world and Christ takes us along with him. And so let us go forth. At Christmas time, we say, go tell it over the mountains that Jesus Christ is born. Now, go tell it over the sea, the mountains, and everywhere that Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. God bless you all.